Hello, and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We get together here every week to discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. I got a fun show for you today because you have multiple guests. My friends, Ruth, Ashley, and Liz from the Auburn Agency in Auburn, Nebraska. Ruth is the proprietor of that establishment and runs that establishment, I guess I should say. She has been a client of mine multiple times and I adore her and I like these girls even. In fact, they brought me in to work with them a little bit last year on some communication issues within the business of agriculture. So you're talking about three smart ladies who are gonna be with you today teaching you the basics of crop insurance. So this, show is crop insurance explained this is a show you can actually pass on to your non-agricultural friend because you probably have been asked if you are in the industry of agriculture this year more than ever you've probably been inquired hey what's this deal crop insurance i heard that these farmers are paid to not plant corn what's going on with that is that one of those federal programs i've been asked so many different questions in fact i shot a video and put it on social media ruth my crop insurance resident expert commented and said, well, I guess this is good basics. So she obviously knows more about the basics than I do. So I'm turning it over to an expert because one thing we almost do is let the expert talk when you're just the generalist, right? I'm a farm guy, I'm a farm owner. And I got to tell you, I don't even understand completely how crop insurance works. So enough ado, here's Ruth, here's Ashley, and here's Liz from the Auburn Agency, a top crop insurance agency in Auburn, Nebraska. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you, Damien. Fun to be with you. All right. So, uh, Liz, you're good. You're happy to be here. You're going to tell us all you know. Yes, I will tell you all my wisdom. Okay. And my friend, my crop insurance. Uh, my, my friend, Ashley, are you ready to share your wisdom with us? Absolutely. You've been through a couple of wars, you know, for, for fairly new, new hires. I'd say this is one hell of a year to get your feet wet, literally right there in Southern Nebraska. Another reason I thought these ladies would be a good addition to the show is not just that we've got multiple personalities on this. They are in one of the worst hit areas. I mean, if you kept up with agriculture, even if you're listening and you're an almond grower in California, this has been a terrible, terrible year. I mean, the whole Midwest, the Plain States have just been devastated with rains. So let's get right into it. How does this work? Tell me about crop insurance. Let's start with Ruth. Tell me about crop insurance. Well, crop insurance started uh, as a total public policy and then uh, went into a public-private policy in the 80s and that's when crop insurance really took off and became viable for the farmer but also for the taxpayer. Uh, coverage is based on the farmer's actual records so the only coverage you can get is based on what he has produced not what his neighbors produced not what his uh, neighbors have have sold for so the more aggressive you are in your production the better the coverage is. The vast majority of the heartland coverage is revenue coverage. And it's not a price guarantee and it's not a yield guarantee. Your revenue is made up both by what you actually produce and then a market price. That market price is set by an independent market trader called the Chicago Board of Trade, which is what all the grain elevators, what anybody that wants to buy crop from you trades on. 
So it, it's quite an interesting phenomenon and a wonderful combination of public-private funds. Yeah, so let's, real quickly, you talked about coverage. Most people get revenue coverage. So what they're saying is, hey, to stay afloat, uh, because really that's the thing that a lot of folks don't understand, most crop insurance, from my understanding, it's not going to make you rich. It's going to at least make you a little break even so you at least can live to fight another day. Is that what we're talking about? We say revenue coverage? Absolutely. The, the least deductible you can take is 15%. Uh, on average, most farmers take between 20 and 25% deductible. So you have to say, sustain a 20% loss before you ever start incurring an indemnity. Okay, so if I take if I take that, I got twenty percent loss, and then I've got the cost of the insurance, and then I'm saying, all right, I want to at least make it so I can break even on this disaster, whether it's still underwater or I planted it, then it got flooded, whatever that thing is. Am I getting back to break even, or am I actually going to make a little bit of money on crop insurance on average? Very rarely do you make money on crop insurance if you have an indemnity, where you actually can make money on crop insurance is by utilizing crop insurance in conjunction with a very strong marketing plan. If okay. you think of it as replacement value, you can replace your crop at replacement value at harvest, which is the way the policy works, it gives you the ability and the confidence to forward contract a crop that you haven't grown yet. You can do it as a forward contract. You can do it as a futures contract. There are multiple ways. And that's where the vast value long-term is year after year over a 10-year time frame. However, when you get into a year like this year, where you can't even plant your crop or it's got six feet of water on it, or flip side, you have droughted out, the crop insurance comes in, makes you uh, an indemnity that makes it work for you to be able to plant again another year. All right, let's bring the ladies in. What do they know? I want to find out. Okay. Ruth gave you a little history there. She gives all a little history. Crop insurance has been around since, Ruth, when? Well, crop insurance uh, in its current form has been around since 1980 in the public-private. It's actually been, I think, available since 1916 as a public form, but it really wasn't until the private industry got involved that we started getting very good policies for the farmer. All right. And equally so for the taxpayer, Damien. I think that's an important factor. Yeah. So again, we want to make sure we're educating the person that lives in the suburbs of America. And I really do hope uh, that someone passes, all of you listeners pass this on to people that want to know how this works. So let's talk about the taxpayer. Let's talk about the government and private enterprise mix. How does that work? Well, it's a balance between the coverage the farmer elects. There's a set percentage of what I would call cost share. The farmer does not get a check from the government for crop insurance. He simply has to pony up cash for his portion of the premium, and the government pays the rest. On a normal year, for example, the last 10 years in crop insurance, Crop insurance has actually made the government money. If there's a profit, if the loss ratio in crop insurance is less than 1.0, that money goes directly into the treasury. 
And that has been the case for many years. It's been since 2012 that we've had a loss ratio that was over 1%. So you're saying- Now we're into to 19 and we're going to have a loss ratio possibly that's higher than that 1.0. So the federal government will lose money in 2019 on their match. But really what happens is, what I'm hearing is the farm operator pays a premium and then the government also pays part of the premium. So that's how the whole thing works is that the government's paying part of the premium, right? That is correct. The government also sets the rates and there are significant rules that go along in it. And trust me, we don't wanna get into the weeds on the rules because Ashley and Liz have gotten a PhD in prevent plant this year. Okay. There's rules and Carter's has pills. I, I wanna to get to the prevent plant, but a real quick thing that I try to explain, and, and again, the average person that's living in the suburbs of America says, why am I paying half of the premium for this farm operator for crop insurance? Answer the question, why do we do that? Very simply, so you can have food to eat, keep an abundant uh, food supply, uh, and you stay healthy, you stay safe, and I think importantly, you stay free. Uh, any, any, this is business interruption insurance for farmers, so your, your listener who is not a farmer has the ability to protect his inventory by keeping it under a roof. We can't pull a roof over corn or soybeans in the field, whereas if, if you sell any type of merchandise, you do want to store it. Well, you can't store it until it's grown and produced. Until it's harvested. Yeah, so my explanation to our non-ag friends has always been, hey, listen, you can disagree with it, and, and there's certain things about the United States Department of Agricultural Policy that I disagree with as well. The one thing, the policy has always been a, a safe, affordable, and abundant food supply. And so the United States Department of Agriculture and your federal government is putting up some money for premium for the insurance policies on these uh, crops because they want to make sure that farm operator lives to fight another day to produce a crop next year. So if there's a failure in Nebraska, maybe we still have an operator in Ohio that's covering that. But then next year, the, the tide turns. Ladies, tell me how... Tell me what you do and tell me what crops are covered. Actually, you've been sitting there, you've been listening. Give it to me. What crops do you cover there out of the Auburn Agency? Well, we mainly cover corn, soybeans, wheat, rice. Those are our top four, I guess. Um, we do cover, there's a multitude of crops you can cover. Um, but those are our main crops we cover here at the Auburn Agency. Um, I am a recent agent and what we do here is mainly keep ourselves educated so we can educate our clients, our farmers, so that they can manage their own operation and keep going. Yeah, so when you're educating them, because when I worked with you, you were doing a big thing about some of the rules and either Ashley or Liz, give it to me, some of the quick and easy rules, because we get too into the weeds on rules, what are some of the rules that a person would need to understand about crop insurance? Uh, if I come in there, what, do you, what, what, most, what are the three big rules you're gonna tell me I need to understand, to adhere to? Um, there are strict deadlines. <laughs> So you need to report your acres on time. You need to change any anything around sales time, anything that's going to happen in your operation or your coverage. Um, additionally, unit structure is a big one. Uh, a lot of people don't understand your unit structure. Um, there's different options that will help your operation or it could 
hurt your operation if you don't understand what you're taking. Okay, so you talk about coverage options there, and we don't need to get into that, but there's multiple different products I can buy. There's a product that says uh, that I get this much deductible. There's a, there's a product that says I get this much deductible. Then there's differences between a year when I can't even plant the crop versus it's out there, it's a month away from harvest, and a glacier comes through, whatever. Uh, explain real quickly the, in layman's terms the different products. Do they vary much, or is it all, is it all in one policy? No, they vary a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this year, prevent planting. Let's tell me, Liz, tell me about prevent planting, which is the big one this year. A bunch of people couldn't even get out and put a crop in because there's water out there because of the floods. What happens? Exactly. So with prevent plant, it means literally that you're prevented from planting. And you could actually, there's two different perils to prevent plant, the one we deal with most commonly is uh, excessive moisture. There is also prevent plant for drought, but truthfully, we don't see that very often. That's more in the Southern states. But for prevent plant on corn, your base guarantee is 50, your base indemnity would be 55% of your guarantee on prevent plant acres. So say you have 80% coverage, if you were to prevent from be prevented from planting corn, you will only get 55% of that guarantee. You can buy up 5% to 60%, but that is one major variance that we have been discussing this year. So say you did get your seed planted, you got your seed in the ground, and the water rose and you flooded out, you would get 100% guarantee, but you will take a hit in your APH database, which is... APH? Yes, which is what helps determine your guarantee. So... That is what can set farmers apart, but that is also dependent on where your land is, how aggressive you are in production and inputs, and a whole handful of other variables. Yeah. But that's been a big, a big topic is the difference in payments on prevent plant or failed crop. Okay, you used two different numbers that I heard. I heard you say that I get 55% of, of what my past yield was, right? Mm -hmm. And then you said, but I can sure that up to like 80%. So I get 80% of 55%, is that what I'm hearing? Yes, so that's what we could call your guarantee is your 80%. But your prevent plant payment is only going to be 55% yeah. of that guarantee. So, Damien, let's go back to the beginning and just let's define something. APH is an acronym that stands for actual production history. You choose the level of coverage you want to take. And in this case, you've chosen to take 80% of your actual production history times the market price. For prevent plant, you are guaranteed 55% of the 80%. So you've purchased 80%, you're paying premium for 80%, but if you have the peril of prevent plant happen to you, you're only allowed to be paid 55% because you are not going to have the cost of harvest. Right. Okay. So the reason we do this is there's two different sets of numbers. If you didn't plant it, you obviously have a less cost in. If you planted it and it just was a failure because of locusts and fire and every other biblical problem, you have more cost involved. So the idea is the reason those differences exist is because of the degree of cost the operator incurs. That, that is the general uh, reasoning behind it, yes. 
Got it. All right. So we're using crop insurance more this year than most. You just said that since 2012, which was a drought year, most of the whole entire Midwest and Plain states in the South suffered through terrible drought in 2012. So this might be the first year the federal government doesn't make money on crop insurance. You guys have been busier than most years, I assume. Talk to me. What's it been like? Actually, what's it, what's it been like? You, you're in your second, third year there. You're a new agent. Uh, all, hell, all hell broke loose this year. Different? Absolutely. A lot of phone calls, a lot of from our own clients and people that are not our clients. Uh, there's a lot of different rules and each operation is different. So a lot of late hours, um, a lot of studying and just learning the different nuances because there's a lot of a lot of rules that you didn't really didn't even understand or know. Right. So then what about, uh, what about the fear? What about the, the emotion? Uh, you know, you've got people with millions of dollars of capital at risk. Uh, did you have to talk some people down? Did you, did you have to, you know, you have some people crying, Liz, did you have, did you have some emotional, you know, some emotional uh, issues to, to handle? Well, when the water first rose in March, you could feel the stress through the phone with the guys. But one comment I did hear from one substantial farmer was that he appreciated the work that we do in our office because at that moment, as he was pulling pivot pumps out of his fields when the water were rising, he felt that crop insurance was the only consistent piece of his agricultural operation. So that was really motivating to hear for the, you know, to begin the year. But one thing that's really affected us this year is how late planting has been with all of the excessive moisture this spring it really pushed planting back this year so we started getting acreage reports very late and then crunch time happened it's been a little difficult but we're getting through it uh, there have been extensions in i think 12 states which has really helped um, it pushed back acreage reporting deadline from july 15th back to the 22nd so a whole week actually you get a lot done in a week so that's alleviated some. Ruth, you're the seasoned veteran. Worst year you've seen in terms of workload, new issues to work through, uh, or is there a year that compares? Uh, I would take you back to 1993, uh, Damien. Prior to 1993, prevent plant was not part of the policy. If you didn't get it planted, there was no coverage for you. In 1993, I was instrumental in helping people in Washington understand that we needed to have prevent plant as part of the policy. It was put in in June and we were writing rules as we were putting it in to the policy. So 93 is where we really cut our teeth on prevent plant. And I think I've been on every prevent plant task force and rules uh, with USDA and different different entities over the years. Uh, it's an important factor, uh, a very important factor in the policy. And frankly, we are very hampered this year and it goes to the testimony that I just gave in front of that, of the House Subcommittee on Risk Management with the Office of the Inspector General came in and changed the prevent plant rules based upon the highest five years of commodity prices that we had ever had. And I warned them, other people warned them. We told them we're gonna get into a bad year on prevent plant. This isn't gonna be adequate. We're gonna to have to have a disaster bill uh, when it could be done through crop insurance much better. Lo and behold, they went ahead and did it anyway. 
now we have a disaster bill. Yeah, you, you've been outspoken and you involve yourself politically, you involve yourself in the industry. There's two big trade organizations that represent crop insurance. So for the, the people that are, would complain about, let's say that again, the taxpayer that lives in the suburbs of, uh, of Chicago might not fully understand this. You're a proponent of it because you think it works. It keeps people in business. You're, you're married to a farm operator. Uh, what criticisms would you actually agree with? Like there's probably something you say, Hey, I understand where the, 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 the average taxpayer could, could gripe about this, and I might understand. Is there anything that you think that there's a legitimate gripe about crop insurance? I, I do. I, I think there are some legitimate uh, issues that we in the industry need to address, but it's more in the terms of having these ad hoc disaster bills than crop insurance. And, and that was my biggest bone of contention when they changed the prevent plant rule from 70% down to 55%. I said, you mark my words, guys, we've gotten along for nine years without having an ad hoc disaster bill. You change this the first year that we have a massive prevent plant year, it's not gonna be adequate. Who knew that we would have a year like this so soon after that change. Uh, and I think the taxpayer ought to be looking at those ad hoc disaster bills because literally I call them a Christmas tree. Every politician in DC can go to the Christmas tree and he'll say, well, for my vote on the ad hoc disaster bill, I want this $20 million for this, yeah. $30 million for that, $40 million for that. That's not how good policy uh, should be looked at. And I think any program like crop insurance that routinely returns money to the treasury ought to be celebrated by the taxpayer. And that, that's my biggest problem is when we get into, because we have done something short-sighted with our policy on this prevent plant, that now there is a need for ad hoc disaster. Now you talk, we've talked a lot about prevent plant and it dawned on me that if there was a person that doesn't understand it, they'd be saying, I don't understand this prevent planting. What we're really saying is uh, listener, there's a time where it just doesn't make any sense at all to go out and put a seed in the ground. You can't put a, a kernel of corn in the ground in uh, August and expect it to yield a bushel of corn come uh, November. I, okay, it could yield one bushel of corn. <laughs> the point is where you're not going to get anything that could even possibly justify. So compare that. I'm trying to compare that to something that the non-crop farmer could really understand why we would pay a prevent planting. Again, it's because it doesn't make sense to plant at a certain date in which why would that happen? It's because of excessive rain generally. Uh, and is, that's been the reason this year. Absolutely. And I, you know, a good example, Damien, would be uh, a bakery. If you go to the bakery and you start your process and your yeast is ready to uh, be punched down and rolled out and made into wonderful donuts or rolls or whatever, and you don't do it timely, you're not going to have wonderful rolls, donuts, or, or whatever is possible. Um, there is a tremendous amount of timing that needs to be done in agriculture, just like every other business. But, but that baker has the luxury of controlling the environment that that dough is being, being mixed in. 
The right. farmer cannot control the environment that his crop is being raised in, and yet everyone in this country enjoys good, wholesome food, and it's because of what the farmers produce. Got it. So we, we, that's why we got so much of these prevent planted acres. So moving forward, here it is, it's uh, late summer, midsummer. Uh, what, what happens? What, 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 what are we seeing down the road? What do we see? Uh, you know, is it going to get worse? Uh, is the insurance going to end up paying even more because now there's acres that were planted and don't get harvested because of weather? What's, what's, what happens? We will see a variety of things happen. Um, and it, it's one of the things I've learned in the business, Damien, is if I was in the business of being able to tell you what's going to happen four or five months down the road, uh, I wouldn't be here. I'd be uh, making money on futures and other endeavors. <laughs> basis, the basis for, for us is let's get a good policy so when the weather happens, we can respond to it. Uh, and I'll, I will give you a very specific example. We have uh, many, many farmers who still have four or five, six feet of water all over their all over their ground. This wasn't a case in 2019 of them being a little bit wet. They physically couldn't even get to the crop, to, to the field to plant because we were water from bluff to bluff. Uh, and that's, that's all over the country. We've got roads from Auburn, Nebraska to Rockport, Missouri, which is 20 miles. We now have to go probably close to 180 miles to get to Rockport because there's no road, no way to get across the Missouri River. Yeah, so you're still, you're still seeing it, and here is, we're recording this on July 18th, and you're still seeing it as a problem. Liz, what's the biggest challenge you faced this spring or biggest thing you learned this spring? The biggest thing I've learned this spring is, truthfully, the resiliency of our farmers and their will to plant. I don't know how many phone calls I've gotten from guys who said, well, if it dries up this week, I'm planting. I don't care if it's a couple days late and it's not going to yield as good as it would in a normal year. It's in my blood. I'm going to go plant. That is, that's been the most standout thing I've seen this year. Yeah. Well, that's what they're born. That's what they're, that's what they're born to do, you know? And, and as they feel, I've, I've actually seen a lot of them feel kind of like failure. Now some of them took the easy way out and said, I'm just going to try and uh, take the easy way out, which is probably sometimes the smart business thing to do. And then I, I saw others that said, Oh, I've exceeded the, the dates. I've exceeded the dates, but I'm going to go ahead and do this because I, I feel like that's my responsibility. Uh, did you see anybody make bad decisions? You see anybody do anything? He said, "Hey, hey, seriously, did you have to step in and intervene and say, don't do this? This is going to be bad for your business.'" No, and and I'll tell you why, Damien. Our job is not to tell the farmer how to manage his farm. Okay. Our job is to make sure that he understands the rules and the consequences of his decision, and then respect his decision. There are, are things that I personally would do differently. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it was a bad decision. As long as they're in compliance with the rules, then we need to support them and do everything that we can to help them get through a very trying time. Right. 
Yeah, I, I think that's about right. And I, I appreciate that. Now, on the one hand, if they said, you're my farm consultant, you would advise them on what to do, but you are their crop insurance consultant. And so instead you give them the answers they need. Actually, you were a little, you were a little slow to respond on the last answer. So I got to give you it. Now tell me what you want to talk about, because I feel bad. You're one of my favorite people there at the Auburn agency. What have you seen this year? What did you see this year that it was the most learning educational experience for you? Um, honestly, the most, <laughs> all the flooding since March. Um, I live in Peru, Nebraska. We still do not have water. So you don't have water like you don't have a, your well doesn't work because it's, it's all flooded. Right. It's been compromised. Yeah. The city well has been compromised ah. by the flooding and we are currently tanking water from Auburn, Nebraska to Peru every day. So trying to conserve water has been a challenge, uh, hauling our laundry and every, every, pretty much every, every week to Auburn to do laundry, to conserve water. It has been a challenge. And then just come to work and hear everybody else's struggles with the flood that are currently going on. That's honestly been the toughest thing this year and the most challenging. I think what would be uh, rewarding, and I guess that you should go home and, and sleep well at night at least, and your role is that you are helping people at least keep their business together. But remember, it's not just that agricultural enterprise these towns, uh, the insurance agency in town, the place that sells washers and dryers, the place that uh, fixes the cars, everybody gets hurt on a year like this. Uh, you guys are at least, if you can guarantee break even for uh, an operator, you might also guarantee that those businesses can stay in business for another year also. And you're certainly seeing that. I mean, I got to imagine the devastation and, and it's still not done. I mean, you're still talking about, it's like, like I said, you don't even have water that you can use at your house. And we have so many farmers, Damien. Um, the biggest difference to this year that I have never seen before is we had farmers who were not in the floodplain. They weren't in a 100-year floodplain. They weren't in a 500-year floodplain. We had basically 36 hours to prepare for this flood. The weather had been crappy all winter not only can they not plant in 19, but many of them lost all of their 2018 grain that was in bins in the devastation to grain bins. Uh, you know, Liz and I have it easy. We get to go home when we have water. Ashley works hard here all day and she goes home and they don't have any potable water. The entire town of Peru doesn't, but then she has it better then the farmer who not only has he lost his 2018 crop, he can't plant in 19. And oh, by the way, his farmstead is gone. Yeah. Cause now we're talking about, do you rebuild? I mean, are you talking about the, the cleanup, the devastation and the, the fact that their farmstead is gone? And this is not just three people. This isn't like a little tornado came in and wiped out six houses. This is widespread. It's South Dakota has problems. Nebraska has problems. Missouri has problems. Iowa has problems. We've got problems here not to your level. Where's it end up? You know, I, I lived through the 2011 flood and at that time it was by far the worst I'd ever seen. And I thought, my gosh, if this ground gets reclaimed and reworked, I'll be shocked. 
and almost all of that ground was planted uh, in 12. Okay. Uh, so I think it goes to the farmer's resiliency. I also do give credit as much as I hold my nose over disaster bills. This is a necessary bill because the bill does include some reimbursement for 2018 grain. And it's going to be critical going forward. There's lots of controversy about the management of the Missouri River. I think we've got, we were well over 50 breaks from uh, Missouri Valley, Iowa, down to St. Joe, Missouri, basically our area of coverage in Nebraska, Iowa, and Missouri, and Kansas. And I don't know how long it's going to take to, to fix some of those breaks. And I've had many people ask me, well, why didn't they just insure that grain that was in the bin for 2018? There is not a commercial policy that can be purchased for grain in their bin due to flood. Oh. It's excluded. So, so the stuff that they had, if they're sitting on thousands and thousands of bushels that's in a bin, it's, it's, you can't insure against flood. If, a, if, if it spoiled, could you? No, not if it's caused by flood. Okay, so again, it's it's un it's un it was uninsured. So there's going to have to be right. there's going to be a bailout of those people have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars right there potentially. Well, and it, it's it's not large. So many people think uh, that aren't in agriculture think this is large farmers. I've got a 600 acre farmer who uh, his loss in 2018 was just short of a million dollars. Yeah, and that's only that's only six hundred acre operator. That's which only a six hundred acre operator. Part of the world is not what you'd call large by any means. No. Interesting. All right. Crop insurance explained was the goal. Crop insurance explained. I think we got it, or at least we cleared up some of the fuzziness. Any closing thoughts going around, Liz? It's been a while since we heard from you. Closing thoughts for us. Crop insurance explained. Did you learn anything during this show? Yeah, um, one important piece that has really helped out this year substantially is the work our agency and the company we do a lot of work with, Armtech Insurance Services, has done on Precision Ag. Since so many of our farmers have been planting for pre with Precision, for the non-ag people, basically your planter has is creating data points every time a seed goes in the ground. And we collect those data points and smart people down at the insurance company they are able to translate that data into a shape that we report from. And since so many of our farmers have reported that way in these last years, we are now able to use that data right. to expedite their claim process. Yeah, we can do a better job of ensuring, a better job of knowing what we're talking about because of the precision ag, and we know, we know what uh, we're talking about. Ashley, closing thoughts, last ideas, crop insurance. If you don't have it, you can just say, Damien, you're brilliant, and we'll move right on. That's fine, too. You have covered everything. <laughs> I mean, I mean, by the way, how many big companies, since she said ArmTech, and I've worked with you a number of times, your agency represents how many different insurance companies? Two. Okay. And in the United States of America, major crop insurance companies are how many? 16. 16. Got it. Mm -hmm. Ruth, thank you, actually. Ruth, closing thoughts, last, last ideas before we hang up here on this episode. Uh, it's been quite a challenging year. I'm very proud of Liz and Ashley, our entire staff, for the work they've done. 
both uh, ArmTech Insurance Services and NAU, the companies we place our business with have been stellar to work with. We have farmers paid already uh, on their prevent plant claims and we still don't know the rules for any of the MFP, any of the disaster. So I think it speaks to why crop insurance is efficient and effective. Uh, and it just reinforces for me that this is the best mix of public and private dollars. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, actually. All right. Ruth, Ashley, Liz, thank you so much for being here for Crop Insurance Explained. Listeners, thank you. As ever, we try to make it informative and also bring you something you can share with others. Please do so with this episode. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture.